Welcome in to the Get Out of Porn podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie. In this week's episode, I want to take a look at the idea of the purpose for sex. What is the purpose? You might say, well, this is a podcast on pornography. Why are you talking about sex in general? Or the purpose for sex? Why do I need to know that? This is to help me get out of pornography. But really, it's the idea of what are we running toward? It's easy for porn addicts to look at sex as just something either for enjoyment or something that's bad. There's a lot of shame associated with it, and so porn is just another way to to feel shame or to act out and then feel shame on it because we don't have a proper theology, a proper understanding of the purpose of sex. Why did God create this? Why did God make me a sexual being? I must have asked that question 10,000 times in my addiction. Why did God make me this way? Why did he give me a sex drive? I pray that God would just make me a eunuch. That if I had to give up sex, so be it, because I was so tired of the addiction. I was so sick of being in it. I was willing to do whatever it took to get out of it. I once spoke with a man who uh, was was ready to go to drastic measures in terms of surgery just to stop the sex drive from happening because he was so tired of it. This means we have a really improper understanding of the purpose of sex. I certainly did as a teenager, and why is that? Because the church never talks about it. We never discuss sex. Our parents rarely discuss sex. We may get the the talk, quote-unquote, but we really don't discuss sex very much. We've talked about that in this podcast, and that's a big pet peeve of mine, but we just don't understand the purpose of it. And so that's what I wanted to discuss in this episode is, why did God create this beautiful, beautiful thing? Why did he make us sexual beings with a strong desire for sex, with a sex drive that pushes us to wanting things? Let me first start by saying the sex drive in porn is completely different than the sex drive in marriage. When you're in porn, you can masturbate three, four, five times a day, and it doesn't, you for some reason still want it, right? It doesn't satisfy. It never satisfies. Sex in a healthy, godly marriage satisfies. You don't need sex three or four times a day. You can't have sex three or four times a day in a godly marriage because it gives what porn cannot give. So people think that they have an incredibly high libido, an incredibly high sex drive. Well, God just created me with a high sex drive. No, God created you with a desire to be loved, and you're finding that through porn. You're finding that through sex. But you're not actually committed in a covenantal covenantal relationship with someone. And so it's not fulfilling, and you continue to run back to it. And then we question, why did God make me so aroused? Why did he make me with such a high sex drive? I honestly think sex drive is very tied to emotional health. If your emotions are are in check, if your emotional health, your emotional relationships are there, if your emotional intimacy is there with somebody, you'll probably find that your sex drive isn't near as high as someone who constantly needs it, who is constantly needing love, needing attention, needing affection. It's because they're not getting what they need. So sex drives may vary from a testosterone level and from all sorts of things, but the guy who needs porn five times a day, that's not what happens in an actual marriage. So what is the actual marriage supposed to look like when it comes to sex? What did God create this for? First, we have to realize that sex is the pinnacle of intimacy. It's the pinnacle. It's not the foundation of intimacy. It's the pinnacle of intimacy. I may have talked about it on the podcast before, but I developed something that I call the intimacy pyramid. And it's if you're looking at it, it's pies, P-I-E-S, going from top to bottom. 
That's physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. The spiritual is on the bottom. Spiritual intimacy, where you are known by somebody. They know your sins. They know your flaws. They know your struggles, your relationship with God, your prayer life, things like that. And you know theirs. That's spiritual intimacy. You're on the same wavelength from a spiritual perspective. That's why we should not be unequally yoked with a non-Christian. We can't be spiritually intimate with a non-Christian. That's the foundation of everything. On top of that, the next layer up of this pyramid is emotional intimacy. Can I be honest and open about my emotions with this person? Can I tell them about my good times, my bad times, when I'm crying, when I'm angry and upset, when I'm hurting, when I'm embarrassed? Do they know me at my lowest? Do they know me at my highest? Do they know the emotional traumas that I've been through in my past? Have I been emotionally intimate with this person? Can I tell them everything that is going on in my life and even shed tears in front of them and know that they will accept it and receive it? The third tier on this pyramid is intellectual intimacy. Are we good friends? Do we talk? Do we share goals and dreams in life? Do we share hobbies, interests? Do I get to know their interests? Do they get to know my interests? Do they care to talk to me about all different sorts of things in life? Building this intellectual intimacy. Are we really good friends? And the last, the, the pinnacle, the very top, is physical. It's the smallest part, but it also is the, the top. It's the outflowing of an intimate life. And the physical may be the hugs and the kisses. It may be doing physical things with one another in terms of going hiking and, and exercising together. But the pinnacle, the very top of that, is sex. Because a husband and wife who have been intimate on the spiritual, emotional, and intellectual level will find that their sex is incredible because they've been open. Why is sex not as good, or why should we not fornicate? Why is sex not as good outside of marriage? Because how in the world can we be spiritually intimate with someone when we're sinning? How can we be open in the eyes of God and open with, with them and how am I going to open myself up completely emotionally when they're not committed to me? They may break up with me tomorrow. They may dump me tomorrow. Or this might be a one-night stand. There's nothing fulfilling about that. It's us turning the pyramid upside down and hoping that through sex we can establish intimacy. That's what porn addiction and sex addiction is all about. We've turned it upside down and think that if we can get sex, then we're worthy of love. It's the other way around. God has given us a worth a worthiness of love that cannot be taken away from us. A worth that cannot be taken away from us. And we tap into that through the spiritual intimacy with one another. We give that through the spiritual intimacy. So sex is the pinnacle of intimacy. And intimacy is defined in a few different ways. I used to define it as to know and to be known. You both know someone on a deep level and they know you on a deep level. But in a Tinsa book, Dr. Michael Barta describes it as vulnerability plus authenticity vulnerability plus authenticity. I can be vulnerable with you, but I'm also authentic. People can be vulnerable, but kind of fake vulnerability. Or they can be authentic, but not fully vulnerable. Authentic with the shallow. True intimacy is being vulnerable and authentic. I was once on a plane with a guy, and we got to talking about it, and it turned out he was a pastor, and a very interesting guy. He had done addictions work, and he gave me the idea of into me you see. Intimacy. Into me you see. You're seeing into someone. They're seeing into you. They see you and they know you. The question for us is, are we known? The whole purpose of sex is for us to be known, to be naked and unashamed, as it says in Genesis 2.25. God creates, he says, it's not good for man to be alone in 2.18. He creates Eve. He creates marriage. 
a man is going to leave his father and his mother, leave and cleave principle. And he says in 225, they were naked and unashamed. That's the pinnacle of intimacy. If you're naked on the spiritual, emotional, and intellectual levels, then you can be naked on the physical level and unashamed. If you're not naked in those other levels, if you're deep in porn addiction and you hope you're, that your wife is going to be uh, is, is going to give you incredible sex, you're not going to have it because you're not living openly. You're not letting your wife know about the addiction. You're not spiritually on the same level as her because you're allowing the addiction to take over your life. So you can't fully be known. You're naked and ashamed, not naked and unashamed the way that God decided. But marriage is intended as a shadow of true intimacy between us and God. Because man's deepest desire is to be known and to be accepted, mainly by our Creator, by God. We want to be known. And sex is our way to replicate on earth our fully being naked and known, which is something that we will truly and fully experience in heaven. So sex is our way to replicate on earth what we will have in heaven, which is full and complete knownness, so to speak. We will be naked. We will be known. And maybe in heaven we'll be clothed. Whatever it is, the idea is we will be in perfect unity with God, perfect intimacy with God. And our sexual desire is to be fulfilled only in a covenant relationship, marriage, because sex draws us more deeply into a covenant love with each other which is a representation of the covenant love between Christ and his church. And so when we honor sex and when we use sex as it's intended, we show the world a deeper unity, a deeper intimacy than the world world can even fathom. We must then point them to the true unity and intimacy with Christ, who knows them on the deepest level. Christ knows us on that spiritual level. He knows us on every level. right? He knows, he knows who we are. He knows our struggles. He knows what we do what we've done, what we will do. Are we allowing ourselves to be known by Christ? And do we allow ourselves to be known by our spouse? And so that's a very basic understanding of the purpose of sex. God intended it for us to know one another and for us to enjoy one another fully. And there's a few common beliefs on sex that I'm going to briefly break down. A few common beliefs that I think can really get us into trouble when we start talking about sexuality. First is that you should have sex before marriage so that you make sure you're sexually compatible. The idea of test driving the car. Why wouldn't you want to test drive the car if you're going to take it off the lot? Statistics show that that's actually horrible for the relationship and for marriage. That the divorce statistics skyrocket if you live together before marriage. And there's no commitment. There's no covenant. So how can there be full unity? And how could the sex ever be good? Having sex before marriage, you would think it would make sense to test drive the car, quote unquote. But before you put a ring on it, before you commit to this person, you're giving yourself not fully. You're giving yourself partially. You're giving your nakedness up, which is something that only your wife, your spouse, your wife or your husband deserves. You're giving it up before it's ready. You're awakening love, as Song of Solomon might say, before it's ready. And that only comes with baggage. It only comes with shame. It comes with heartache. It comes with trauma. We give ourselves to somebody and then they take it, but they trample it. And even if they don't trample it, we still have to deal with the weight of giving it to somebody that may not fully appreciate what we've given them. So no, it doesn't actually make sense to test drive the car to make sure we're sexually compatible. Sexual compatibility is something that's built over years of marriage, decades of marriage, getting to know one another, 
the ins and outs, getting to know the foreplay that somebody enjoys, getting to know the sexual positions that somebody enjoys, and learning to please the other person. That takes so many years. So just because you have fun in bed doesn't mean you're compatible in every other area, and just because you don't immediately hit it off in bed doesn't mean that you can't grow to be sexually compatible. Another common belief is that sex and marriage is mainly to meet the man's physical needs. That's also not true. Women have physical needs too. They have emotional needs, and and so do men. A lot of times we talk about the woman's emotional needs, the, the man's physical needs, and as long as those two are being met, but that's not true. A woman has physical and emotional needs, vice versa with the men. So what are we doing to meet each other's physical and emotional needs? A woman is more likely to appreciate foreplay, but that's not always the case. A man more likely has the higher libido, but that's not always the case. We can't stereotype every situation. Don't stereotype every situation or feel that you're weird if you don't fit into that situation with sex. Another common belief, what I would say is a myth, is that a wife needs to have sex anytime her husband asks so as to safeguard the marriage. My husband's looking at porn, so if I just give him sex 24-7 every single time he wants it, surely that will safeguard the marriage. He's going to go out, out of town on a business trip. I need to have sex with him to make sure that he's, he's kind of good. He doesn't have to go out of his way to rent movies in a hotel, whatever it may be. That's terrible. That's using the wife as the object. That's the wife saying that she's used only to, to stop her husband from going and cheating. So sex isn't used as a beautiful unifying thing. It's used as a safeguard to make sure the man's on the right track. That's not the purpose of sex. It's not to make sure that the man just proverbially, pardon the expression, but keeps his pants on. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to make sure that each pe- each person in the relationship is known, is loved, is accepted. Not to quote unquote safeguard the marriage because that puts all of the all of the onus on her, all of the responsibility on her to perform. And for him to rush back to his wife before he goes and cheats on her. That's terrible. If the wife was in a car wreck, what's the man going to do? Sex is not the end-all be-all of marriage. It's the pinnacle of intimacy, but intimacy can still be found on every level apart from sex. Another common belief is that sex is the primary way to build intimacy. That's not true. I find emotional health to be one of the best ways to build intimacy. But sex is not the primary way to build intimacy. It's, it's merely one way to build. It's the pinnacle to build it. Some people say, well, the purpose of sex, I, that's easy. Sex is just for procreation. You're supposed to have kids, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That's the purpose of sex. That is a purpose of sex. But I once heard this from somebody, and, and I'm stealing it from them. They said, how many times do you see the word kids? How many times are kids spoken of in Song of Solomon, a book all about sex? Zero. Song of Solomon proves that sex is not just about procreation. It's intended to be enjoyed, to be a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. We ought to use it as such. Porn robs us of that. Porn makes us objects, makes our spouse an object that we can lust after, but that we're not actually giving her a part of ourselves. We're not actually being known in the relationship. And when we make it just about procreation, then sometimes that can cause us to be sexually stunted. I once heard of somebody who had four kids... And this was a private matter, but they had four kids and had had sex six times in their marriage, in their decade-long marriage. Well, sex was for procreation. Why would you need it for anything else? 
you're robbing yourself of a beautiful, joyous gift that God has given us. Don't do that. Don't do that. Last, there's an idea that husbands who want sex every night should expect their wives to oblige or they stand in opposition to 1 Corinthians 7. On the flip side, women should be able to deny their husbands sex for as long as they need so as to feel comfortable. You have a duty to your spouse. Sex is intended to grow the relationship closer. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's intended to get us closer to one another. You cannot deprive your husband for any purpose longer than, than the fasting for prayer, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. And the husband needs to live with his wife in an understanding way and make sure that he's not pushing his wife into sex all of the time just to feed his his lusting, just to feed his um, his desire to be loved in that way. He needs to pursue it in other ways. He needs to find love in God and in himself and stop using his wife as the object to feel sexually loved. That's a That's an outflowing. That's a beautiful thing. But if a man is only running to his wife as an object and treating her as porn, he's missed the point of sex. And if he uses 1 Corinthians 7, I don't want to be him in the judgment. Misquoting or misusing the Bible so as to basically fulfill his sexual fantasies, his pornographic fantasies with his wife. That's not what that's about. But for the women that don't feel comfortable, that's something to work through. Maybe from past trauma. Maybe because there's a lot of betrayal trauma from him looking at porn. Whatever the need may be, we ought to pursue a healthy sex life. Porn robs us of that because porn is built in shame. We cannot be fully known. We can't hit the pinnacle of intimacy when we can't be intimate because we're filled with shame from porn. That's why they call porn an intimacy, or porn addiction an intimacy disorder. It's bad news, bad stuff. We have to stay away from it. So this is the purpose, again, a brief understanding, a brief breakdown of the purpose of sex my understanding of the purpose of sex. If you have other thoughts on it, please let me know. Reach out to me. I would love to know what your thoughts are on sex and why God created sex. I think it's intended to be something that's beautiful, that it's a gift that speaks to our covenant love with one another that mirrors our covenant love with God and himself and with Christ in the church. You have a husband and a wife and kids that mirrors the Trinity, the, the triune aspect that's what sex is intended to be is it's intended to be the joyous unity kind of like the godhead has and that may be weird uh, that may sound weird but but that's really what it is it's a joyous aspect to to life on earth that we might be able to feel a unity and a closeness and intimacy that that cannot be described in any other way it feels the best of all the intimacy, it feels the best, and God created it that way for a reason. We ought to use it that way. We ought to appreciate it. We ought to cherish it and make sure we're pursuing a positive, loving, godly sexual relationship with our spouse, not chasing porn so as to fulfill our, our needs for love that will never fully satisfy. I hope this has helped. I hope this has been a an encouraging talk, at least for the understanding of sex, so that you might have a better theology surrounding sex. It's not just for procreation, it's for so much more. Please do your own research on this. Let me know what you find out. Let me know what you think on this. If you've done research on Genesis 1, 2, 3, going up into that, there's so many themes and, and, and important aspects there of what men and women and our roles are supposed to look like and what sex is for. I hope this has, again, been helpful, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.